Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There are many things that can change when we become mothers, including our desire for sex. In this episode, we speak to Kate Moyle, a psychosexual and relationship therapist, about sex and intimacy after we become mothers. We discuss why sex is so good for us, what we can do to prioritize sex, and whether scheduling sex is ever a good thing. My name is Caroline Johansson, and you're listening to the podcast To Become a Mother. Kate, you are a psychosexual and relationship therapist specializing in working with those that are struggling with difficulties in their sex lives and with their sexuality. You're also the host of the Sexual Wellness Session podcast, therapist on the BBC Three series Sex on the Couch, director at the Thought House Partnership on Parsi Street, which is a private therapy practice for psychosexual and relationship therapy and a UK sex expert at Lalo, the intimate lifestyle company that designs, develops and manufactures upmarket sex toys. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's uh, a session that I've really been looking forward to because as you become a mom, there are so many things that change in your life. Mm. You go through a huge transformation. And one of the things that do change is your relationship to your partner, but also in many cases, the attitude that you have towards sex and maybe the desire you have sexually. So I'd really like to talk about that today. But to start with, I'd just like to go back to basics and understand what really is it that happens in your body and in your brain when you're having sex? And why is it that those things are good for us? Yeah, I think sex is a completely brain-body experience. And we know that when we are having sex or being sexual or thinking about sex, that it isn't just this physical thing and it isn't just this psychological thing. So we go through the process of arousal, which is the body's physical kind of preparation, physiological preparation for sex. And then we have desire, which is the want or the motivation to be sexual. And we see that those two things can also happen at the same time, that's kind of, I suppose, the ideal. But also we can sometimes have one without the other um, in, in something that we describe as non-concordance. And 
really we can go through so many processes, thoughts, experiences, whether it's physically or psychologically when it comes to sex, because sex can mean so many different things at so many different times, be dependent on context. And we, how we experience sex can change. And I think that one of the biggest examples of this is trying to conceive pregnancy, post-childbirth, postnatally, motherhood, parenthood, is where we see such a big physical and psychological shift. Yeah, and touching on that, what, what really is it that happens when you've had a child? What do you see in your clients when they've gone through that change? What happens to them emotionally and physically that will impact their sex lives? Well, physically, if we have, I mean, for a start, I think it's always important to start the conversation with the trying to conceive bit, because that is not straightforward for a lot of people. And I think we often jump to the, the postnatal conversation without considering that actually sex kind of been something which became tricky or complicated or painful or very emotional or very laden before that. Some people you know, very fortunately feel pregnant without trying. Lots of people feel that they have to try quite a long time. They might be tracking their ovulation and might be have changed their relationship with sex, not just for themselves, but as a couple. Sex can become quite functional. And a lot of people have also gone through miscarriage. They've also gone through IVF, assisted fertility. That can be very medicalized. I've had IVF myself. So I know that you can go through this almost kind of detaching of from your body in a sexual way, as strange as that sounds, because you just have to get through it and mm. you can feel that you're being very managed or that there's a lot of doctors involved or that, you know, people are talking about your body all of the time as this quite you know, medicalized and functional thing. And actually you can detach from a lot of sexuality that you might feel. And then when we, I think this is, you know, with the assumption that we've become mothers through pregnancy and childbirth rather than something like surrogacy or adoption or being a step parent, is that physically our relationships with our bodies change. We've seen our bodies change. That's not always a comfortable thing for some people. How we relate to our body might have changed. Um, we might have felt out of control of our bodies. We might really celebrate our bodies. We might be actually more comfortable with our bodies. But the pelvic floor will have been through a whole process of change and stress and experience. So the, I suppose, acutely physical part of intercourse might feel different we have a window of recovery and it might be a window of time where sex is uncomfortable and that's something we haven't experienced before. But there's also a thing that lots of women describe to me, which is, for example, like my breasts used to be really sexual and I feel now like they are exclusively for breastfeeding and that's a strange relationship for me to have with that part of my body. So I think how we perceive ourselves and how we relate to our bodies also changes. Mm. And what you're describing when you were speaking about trying to conceive and it's almost like the desire is detached from the act of conceiving the baby in some instances. So sex becomes associated with something that's just, I guess, the opposite of what we normally think of sex. Well, it's goal-orientated. Yeah. And if you've gone through that process and had that experience, is your experience then that it's hard to move away from that mindset and go back to a more not goal-orientated I think that we have to, in a way, almost reclaim our relationship with sex or rebuild our relationship with sex. And what we can see is if the focus is on trying to conceive, that 
it kind of feels like the longer it goes on for, the more functional it becomes, the more focused we become. And what can happen quite quickly is a real shift from kind of fun to functional. And that functional might be, let's just get it done. We have to do it now. I'm ovulating. This is the time. Let's just do it and not worry about the rest of the stuff. And actually what tends to happen then is that sex falls away at other times of the month or we only invest in our partners or reach out to our partners or nurture our partners around that specific time. And that can leave everybody feeling quite undesired because sex has not been about desire or want or connection or intimacy. It becomes literally about how do we get pregnant? And I hear that a lot from both sides, from Mm. if we're talking about heterosexual relationships, male and female partners. Mm. And what do you do if you're in a cycle like that? Because I can imagine, or I know from experience that when you have had a child, there's a lot going on and it can be very difficult to find a time or space to even think about sex. But if you want to fix that, how do you go about it? I think the first thing is acknowledging that you want it to change and actually being able to talk to your partner about that. Because it's quite difficult for one of you to make the changes without having informed the other. And it can be something as simple as, I feel like trying to conceive or trying to get pregnant really changed our sex life. Do you think that we should try and do something about that? Do you think we should try and make an effort to make it feel like it used to or to change things a bit? That can be something as basic as making sure that you are also having some kind of sexual contact at a different time of the month, at increasing something that we call sexual currency, which is anything that you do with a partner that isn't sex. And then really it's something that it's kind of the stuff that you would only do with a partner. So they're things like kissing, hugging, touching. So there's kind of reaching out. I always talk about them as little bridges. Increasing them the rest of the time is a real opportunity for responsive desire to grow from, to be triggered by. And they're the things that we forget about when sex becomes functional. And the irony is they're the things that actually are the the roots to getting that part of our sex life back. So there's a kind of ironic a, a kind of ironic relationship there, which is we we lose the thing that's actually the thing that's most likely to get us back to where we want to be. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, because that leads me on to to my next question, which is often when you um well, what I've read online and in magazines is that, uh, don't worry, if you don't have sex, that's okay. As long as you are intimate and you hold hands, that's almost like a substitute. But it seems, and that was my question, what is the real difference? Does it have a, a, you know, a difference in your relationship, whether you are just being intimate and have a really close intimate relationship, but it's non-sexual or is it not a substitute, but actually more of a, an addition that you need to have in your life in order to have a fulfilled sex life? If both partners are happy without sex, genuinely happy, not just saying that they are because they're trying to appease each other, then a relationship can be incredibly intimate and incredibly successful. The biggest problem that we see in couples or presentation for psychosexual therapy for couples is mismatched desire or different levels of desire. So one partner basically would like to be having sex more than the other. And intimacy and sex are different. They're often used as 
you know, the same terminology. We use sex to mean intimacy. We use intimacy to mean sex. And intimacy is about the depth of a relationship. You know, the, it's often described as this um, way of saying that into me see that it's a way, it's a specialness to that relationship, mm. a uniqueness to that relationship, a depth that goes further. But we can have intimate relationships with people that we have completely platonic relationships with, with our siblings, our parents, our friends, um, our children. We can have intimacy and closeness without it being in any way sexualized. Now, if lots of people who are feeling that sex is the thing that's missing from their relationship, of course, that can impact intimacy. And of course, intimacy can impact sex. And lots of people might say that with a lack of sex, they feel a lack of intimacy. It's that closeness that they would only get with their partner. And that would sex would be a way of getting that. So it's completely couple dependent. And what we know is that some partners or some people value sex very highly in their relationship as a source of intimacy, as a way of feeling close to their partner, and that their partner might not. And so the lack of sex in their relationship might sting or hurt one partner a lot more than the other. And Mm. it's really about what meaning we hold sex to have in our lives. And that might not be the same. You know, we shouldn't assume in in a couple that both people hold it in that same regard. Mm. And if you have that mismatch, how do you go about bringing that up with your partner? Because I guess it could be quite a sensitive conversation either if you're saying, I feel like you just want sex way too much Mm. um, or why are you rejecting me or why do you not want sex? Yeah, I think that the trying to have the conversation in a non-blaming way Mm. is really positive. Now, the thing that couples both struggle with, struggle to talk about and argue about the most as conversational topics is sex and money. And that's because they are incredibly laden and emotional topics. So I think trying to talk to your partner in a positively framed conversation, not, I always say to people, don't do it in bed. Don't do it when you're just having had just sex, just had sex or just before or just after, but take a separate time to be like, shall we talk about sex or shall we talk about what's not working or what's going on or what we would like to improve on? Or, you know, I really love you and I this part of our relationship isn't working that well at the moment. How do we think we can make it work better? Do you have any ideas or is there anything you'd like to try and I'd really like us to get better at this? And I think that those that kind of framing of it being a a problem that you face together rather than a problem that's isolated in one of you is a really important part of that conversation. Mm. And is it worth giving them a heads up that that conversation will be, that you'd like to have that conversation before you're having it? I guess just to not spring it upon them unprepared. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes it might be, you know, it might be something like, I think we really need to talk about our sex life. When do you think a good time for us to do that would be? Mm. Um, you know, we've got tomorrow night free. Should we have a glass of wine and sit and talk about it? Or I read this article. Can I send it to you? I think it'd be really useful for us to talk about. Or I listen to a podcast. You know, whatever it is, I, I often say to people that using something like a prompt, whether it's an article, a podcast, um, an episode of something, sharing that with your partner and using that as something to talk about to start the conversation can sometimes be really helpful. But also remembering that you might have been thinking and preparing for this conversation and 
springing it on them, they might not be expecting it in the same way. You might not get the best reaction purely because you've thought about it and they're not in the same place as you. And so if you catch your partner off guard, don't necessarily take that as a really negative thing, but give them a chance to catch up. Yeah. Um, we spoke briefly about before that sometimes when you've just had children, for some women, it can feel quite overwhelming. It's a, it's a big change and sex can feel like it comes below on the priority list. And I guess that could apply to men as well when you become a parent. It's just a lot going on. If you find yourself in that phase of life, is it okay to just park sex? If you agree, we'll, we'd like to park sex for a year until we're more on top of our things. Or is it important to actually, even though it's, it's harder now to find a time and space, uh, we need to work more on it to keep it going? I'd say it's more important to work out how you can prioritize it or make space for it. And it doesn't have to be sex, but the ways that you can be a couple and remind yourselves to, of how to be a couple mm. and have that adult to adult, not just for you as parents, but for you as a couple time, I think is important because we... We can lose sight of that very easily, particularly with very young children. And if you really wanted to park it for, say, a year, but then for me, I guess what I was thinking when I heard you saying that is what happens when you get to the year and you feel like you've got no idea how to then, as we were talking about earlier, rebridge those gaps. And what happens is the more that we avoid something is it can become a bigger source of anxiety because avoidance is the best tactic that we know for managing anxiety. But it could be that you say, do you know what? Sex is still really painful for me postnatally. Um, intercourse is really not working for me at the moment. Could we just put a pause on that? But I would like to make sure that we still maintain our physical relationship or our physical connection in a way that isn't painful for me mm. whilst we just, you know, take a bit of time. Yeah, that makes sense. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And if you're a woman who's gone through uh, a vaginal birth that's been quite traumatic, there could be a lot of trauma associated with sex. Do you come across people with that experience and how does that manifest itself? Yeah, definitely. And there's an amazing organization doing some great work at the moment called Make Birth Better. And there is actually a lot more kind of growing talk and research going into birth trauma at the moment, because I think we've massively underestimated it for a very long time. And I think that firstly, if you are really struggling after a traumatic birth with birth trauma, and you are experiencing it as triggering or that you are having flashbacks or that you're really struggling with that, please go and get some professional help. Go back to your GP, see if you can get a referral, find a counsellor or therapist who has a specialism in birth trauma, go to something like Make Birth Better or do your research, do your reading, but you should not have to suffer with that. And don't think that just because the narrative is there, which is that birth is in some way almost traumatic for everyone but that means that it's something you just have to get through or something that we'll just get through in time because birth trauma is is a real real thing and I think that what we see is obviously the relationship with sex leading to pregnancy leading to trauma means that sex is then woven into that and sex has become something that we might have psychologically related to that or feel is very connected to that and we have to work out how we can make sex safe for ourselves again. And again, that might be work that you need to do with a professional or to talk to your partner. It might be about really taking things slowly. I recommend postnatally everyone takes things slowly anyway. You shouldn't be attempting sex until a minimum of six weeks after childbirth, whether it's vaginal or C-section, and you've had your GPs check. But even that is fast, and a lot of people might not feel ready for sex at that point. But The relationship that you have to sex can absolutely be impacted by something like birth trauma. Mm. And I guess that your partner, if your partner has attended the birth, that might also be true for them. Absolutely. Yeah. And it leads me on to my other question about, you know, when you've given birth and you find yourself in that postpartum period feeling quite vulnerable and also, at least in my head, I had thoughts like, oh, will he ever look at me the same way? In your experience dealing with fathers or partners, what is it that they go through? Do they feel that their relationship to their other half has changed completely? Are they viewing them differently? You know, for example, are they viewing them in a non-sexual light after having seen that experience? Yeah, what's, what's your experience there? I think that that's, again, quite built into the narrative is that men if we're talking about men or partners, whether they're male or female, then see their the birthing partner in a different way. It's not massively my experience, actually, that people suddenly then become desexualized. If anything, I actually hear more kind of admiration from partners than anything else. They watch their partner go through something very transformative and actually then the, the role that they take on as a parent is 
is almost a new lens or a new light or a way you've never seen your partner before. I think that the, you know, there can be anxiety about hurting a partner. I think that that's very real. Anxiety perhaps around things like, so for example, I've worked with lots of men who have been struggling sexually through the process of trying to conceive or after miscarriage or something like that because they are struggling to deal with their emotional response to those things. And as a result, a bit like we were saying about birth trauma earlier, sex can become entwined with our anxiety about the next step. So whatever whatever that may be, whether it's potential pregnancy or um, potential pregnancy loss. And so it's, I think it's complicated and I think that every partner will have their own experiences of that but I don't think that it has to be this natural uh not natural and that it has to be this instant I see my partner in a completely different way and that different way is desexualized instantly and there's this term matricence and um I had Sarah Forbes who's writing the book Mama Sex onto my podcast and we did an episode on sex lives and motherhood and we talk about matricence as this transitional period of becoming a mother or this change in the way that we talk about puberty and menopause. And I think that one of the things that she said, which I've always found really interesting and has always stuck with me is why don't we prepare both women and their partners for this change and knowing that you will not be the same person that you were before? Why is that not a part of this conversation? And then we'd all be going into it with that perspective rather than thinking, oh, you should just be like the you that you were before just with a baby in tow. Yeah, definitely. It changes so many things in your life. It's a huge, huge shift. And um, I think many women and men are completely unprepared when that comes. So in terms of looking forward, just talking about sex generally, if you've been in a couple for a long time and you want to keep things fiery, How do you go about that? Is that you, you touched before on the importance of, um, of having those moments together, intimate moments that are like a bridge leading up to sex. Are there other things that you can do to keep things interesting and not becoming, I guess, too much of teammates just running a household together? The thing that couples who report feeling most satisfied, particularly sexually in their relationships, report is that they prioritize it and they make an effort they nurture that part of their relationship that's really unsexy answer it's not you know it's not exciting it's not erotic but it is that it is something which they work on and that's because it needs to be thought about like nothing else in our lives do we expect to just happen We don't expect our jobs to just do themselves. We don't expect our children to look after themselves. We have to remember to call our friends, check in with our sister, email our dads. You know, we constantly nurture our jobs. We go to the gym. We cook food for our children. You know, there's all these things that we are constantly nurturing and looking out for and looking after. And we don't apply the same rule to our sex lives and relationships. Yeah. And we expect them to just happen. And I think that it's one of the biggest inhibitors of 
people actually working on their relationships and sex lives and thinking that it's a problem. You know, it, it's one of the biggest things that stops people because they think if I have to work at it, then there must be something wrong. Whereas actually, I would argue that's the most natural way of being. Mm. And we know that things like routine kind of dampen desire, the predictability. So there are, you know, changing little things. You don't have to do anything massive or dramatic, but just I often talk about this idea of changing. Every time you have sex, change one thing. So whether that's starting with your clothes on or off, turning on the lights or using lube or not, introducing a sex toy, changing position, the time of day. Even if you put your pillows on the different end of the bed and it makes your bedroom feel slightly Mm. different or put the bedding onto the floor, whatever it is, try and just introduce little changes. But acknowledging and being able to communicate about it is is a big part Mm. of that. So it sounds like you're not totally against scheduling sex. I don't recommend scheduling sex. What I do recommend is scheduling the time to be together, just blocking it out, phones away, screens away, distraction free. And whether that is in your bed or on the sofa or somewhere where you can be close and physical, but also give yourselves a chance to connect, you know, introducing like eye contact, allow opportunities for responsive desire to happen. Now, when I say responsive desire, we've always considered desire to be this thing that pops out of nowhere and that we then act on it. So we're going to spontaneously feel turned on and we jump our partners and we have sex and that's how desire works. What we actually know is that desire can be responsive and actually that type of desire is much more common in long-term relationships and particularly in women. And that is where we might lean into something. So whether it's a kiss or an extended hug or um, our partner is touching us or we're kind of cuddling and that we then start to feel desire second. We don't have to experience it first mm. and we can talk about it as the desire um, to continue, for example. But even in us just thinking that and reframing it that way, it gives us a bit more of an opportunity to be open to where things might go. And that is a really important facet of our sex lives particularly in long-term relationships particularly for people like parents who are busy and always distracted because many of us think if say our partner approaches us I'm not turned on at the moment I don't want to have sex right now that that then has to be problematic but it doesn't if we just uh, you know give ourselves a minute just to settle into it and see what happens but I guess if you have these windows locked out for just being together if you always know that your partner wants more, you know, we were talking before about there's a mismatch in the sexual appetite in the relationship, then how do you make sure that you don't feel, because I, I guess a mood killer instantly would be to feel pressured to actually continue. Yeah, which is why we don't say, you know, as psychosexual therapists that we schedule sex because that can create pressure. Mm. And actually what the pressure can do is create anxiety create avoidance, mean that both partners are lying there feeling really anxious. A large part of my job is helping people to reduce anxiety around sex. I think the clear communication bit, particularly if you're feeling nervous in that postnatal window or you have been struggling with um, your pelvic floor postnatally or sex has been quite painful, you can say, look, I don't feel ready for that, but I'd like us to do other stuff. There's plenty of ways that you can be sexual with one another that don't require intercourse. And I think actually one of the biggest things 
in relationships and particularly in that window postnatally or when you're parents with young children is actually just feeling wanted by your partner can be a big thing and a lot of parents feel ignored by their partners both ways you know all the attention goes on the kids all the focus is on the kids and actually we kind of forget about each other and there are plenty of ways that we can do that that don't involve Mm. sex that are as meaningful I think for me it's just encouraging people to talk about these things to not feel like if you're struggling that there isn't help available if you particularly want to listen to conversations about postnatal health postnatal sex lives on my podcast I've spoken to Claire Bourne who's the women's health physio she does a lot of amazing work around this but I think that there's so much shame around our sex lives and we all feel so alone in those experiences and like we're the only ones and the minute we start talking, reading, researching, listening, you will realize that that couldn't be further from the truth. And I think for me, feeling alone in the experience, feeling like you are the one with the problem, that you're not normal, all of those are really negative feelings, which can then further negatively impact your relationship with sex. And that's not something that you have to sit with. You can take control over it. And as I said, opening up the definition of sex can be really, really helpful. And that should be the focus, you know, pleasure and fun. Yeah. And in terms of sitting about it alone, I think there is a narrative out there that everyone is having loads of sex and you can easily compare your own relationship and your situation to what everyone else is doing. Mm. Just, uh, I don't know if you know, but how, (laughs) what is a normal amount of sex? Like what do people do? Are there any studies on that? I don't actually know. But for me, the thing that I would encourage everyone to think about is what, you know, what would work for you? Because it's about quality and satisfaction. And satisfaction isn't necessarily correlated with frequency. And it's about working out what is the norm, your normal, or whatever you want to call it for you and your partner. And not really worrying about what anyone else is doing because what's the function of comparing? Mm. It, it doesn't do many people many favors. No, on any claims. No. <laughs> cool. No, thank you so much. It's been really nice having you. Thank you for having me on. I um, think it's a really important conversation. I don't think we get enough help in this area of our lives. No, I agree. Hi. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.